live from shit town it's the potties with your host pod boy pod fan parkinson man <laughs> thank you very much i'm pod boy pod fan parkinson man and uh, couldn't be more pleased to lead you through the something annual Potty Awards from the boys on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. There's gonna be some stats in list. Talking about the potties. Talking about the potties. Talking about the Welcome to this year's Potty Awards, the annual ceremony that we've definitely done before. I can't believe, uh, can't believe it's the potty season again, huh? Oh man, I've been waiting so yeah. uh, urgently <laughs> for another potty award. Yeah, I tell you, when I sent my when I sent my 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 potty wish list away to potty claws a month ago i uh <laughs> i i couldn't believe the the bounty of potties that i was look, looking forward to so many potties <laughs> to look forward to we've got Love the potty best season. we've got the best potty award we've got the the best Pottied potty award. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is a proud tradition, folks. Definitely not an effort at a new premise to replace last year's New Year's Eve special that never really cohered around the theme. Uh, we're gonna have. Uh, we got. We're here to talk about the stats, uh, the top fives, the stars, and my. There are a lot of stars here tonight. I tell you right over here. I've got Ed Kowalczyk. I tell you, when he heard it was a live show. He went back home and got his amp. <laughs> <laughs> he went home and got his amp. He went home and got his amp. He misinterpreted what it meant that it was a live show. Uh, uh, Gavin Rosdale's here. Bush, Bush has had a big year. Do you guys want to hear my impression of Bush? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Not gonna debt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a thousand rays of light. Yeah, that's my impression of the correct bush, and it was made up by me. Uh, so both parts of my introduction were accurate. Alanis Morissette is here. Huge success with Jagged Little Pill. Huge success. Uh, new reports reveal that thousands of those sales came from Scott Weiland, who thought he was buying pills like drug pills. Uh, speaking of Wyland, his, his whole band is here, STP. Uh, speaking of which, what does that stand for? Salad Turkey Pies? I mean, what even counts for a band name anymore? I heard that the lead singer of Seven Mary Three formed a new band. It's called Eight Joseph Four. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> Wow. Uh, 
Yeah. Hey, yeah. I uh, I noticed that uh, that Art Alexakis is here trying to blend in with his fellow young people. Yeah, big year for Everclear. Yeah, he uh, you know, he's hoping we can wrap up soon so he can get to dinner by four p.m. and be in bed by six. Because he's old. He's an old man. You know, Art's pretty old. And uh, he's made a lot of songs, so I'm sure he'll be composing right in, up until the day he dies. Then he'll be decomposing. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Art Alexakis grew up poor. In fact, he was so poor that one time a friend saw him walking down the street wearing one shoe. So they said, hey, Art, you lost a shoe. And Art said, no, I found a shoe. Ah, <laughs> uh, what else do we got here? Uh, Dave Perner. Dave Perner's here from Soul Wait, Asylum. Wait, Dave Perner, Soul Asylum. All right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Dave Perner's here, fresh off his recent court case for some unpaid parking tickets. It turns out that his dreadlocks smell so bad that when he walked in, the judge said, "Odor in the court." <laughs> Order in the court. Yeah, what? Well, Good one. Boy, those dreadlocks smell bad. One time, Dave was hanging out with the Terminator, and the Terminator caught a whiff of Dave's dreads and said, I won't be back. <laughs> you won't be back. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Dave's, uh, Dave Grohl is here. You know what oh, they Dave say Grohl. about? Yeah, you know what they say about Dave? That he's a piece of <laughs> who whores himself at every <laughs> opportunity just to put his <laughs> name on every <laughs> documentary and <laughs> magazine article. <laughs> Anytime anyone oh. has any <laughs> say about. Thank <laughs> 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 you, Dave Grohl. Uh, the, uh, Edge is, uh, here from you two. Oh, uh oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess they're, uh, they're playing me off. So thank you. You've been a wonderful audience. Here we are. It's the 1995 Potty Awards. We'll be right back. Well, you all want to start with a little trip down memory lane? Sure. Uh, I know I was 10 years old uh, when 1995 ended. Uh, so that makes what? Quill, you were 11? Uh, 12? At the end of 95, I would have been 11. Yes. 11. Uh, so this would have been sixth grade for me. And Trav, you were what? 13? 13 year old boy. Mm hmm. So on December 31st of 1995, what would you have said was the best song of the year? I have a very boring answer, and it's just, it's, it's Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Hmm. Like, after that I, came out, it was just sort of like, oh, this is everything. Like, this is, I'm just throwing in with this, and that's it. I wish I had a more, like, interesting answer, but I don't. That's it. Yeah, I don't either. In fact, you and I, this is a, reveals a trend in the evening. Mine was without a doubt. It was Wonderwall by Oasis. Mm. 
Uh, I think it had, you know, it had just popped up. We we just barely um, escaped doing an episode about it in 95. It'll be our first episode in 96. But um, I was like spellbound by, by Wonderwall. And uh, a lot of that was because it was providing a bridge between 60s music and 90s music. And I was just beginning to get into alternative rock. So uh, that's something that we'll explore a whole lot in the near future. Quill, what do you think? Uh, yeah, at this time, I think I was pretty exclusively listening to Christian music. Um, but it was in a weird, like, this was a weird spot. Um, it was before the big 1996 albums of Christian, uh, mainstream rock, uh, Take Me to Your Leader by the Newsboys. (laughs) And I think the Audio Adrenaline album was called Bloom. Um, is 1996 the 1977 of Christian rock? <laughs> no, because I think those are the two main albums. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Jesus Freak by um, DC Talk. I think the name of the album was Jesus Freak. Um, uh, came out, I think that was actually late 94, but um, it still was going strong with singles at this point. Um, this was... Um, the year of the self-titled Jars of Clay album, which uh, you all know my love for Jars of Clay. Yeah, wow. Um, this is quite the quite the roster of Christian rock. But I don't think I really knew about them at this point yet. So on, uh, uh, on December 31st of 1995, I mean, yeah, I'm having a hard time pinpointing... Uh, uh, what my favorite song would have been. Um, I don't think I was, I, I don't think that I had a favorite song of the year at this point. Like I don't, and, and I, I don't think I can pinpoint what it would have been. Uh, it would have been something from like Jesus freak by DC talk or the previous Newsboys album going public, which I think came out in 94. We'll um, name it. What's the best song on Jesus freak. I mean, for me, it was probably... Um, yeah, you don't have to name the empirical best song on Jesus Freak, Quill. Yeah, for me, uh, at the time, it was probably a song called Colored People. <laughs> what? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that was a song that I liked uh, in uh, 1995. Do you remember <laughs> in what... In what context they were saying colored people? I mean, I think it was a song about the uh, diverse followers of Christ. Oh, and how oh, okay. and how uh, oh how the Lord our God loves uh, you know all people. Mm-hmm. Red or yellow, black or white, mm-hmm. all are precious in God's sight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, Jesus, Travis, sorry. I was a, a stupid conservative Christian, uh, kid at this time. And I, I mean, who let that, who let that slide on the album? <laughs> Forefront Records. Handlers? Forefront, Where are their handlers at? Forefront Records, the Christian record label that they were on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the idea. I'm not mad at you. I'm just, I'm just stunned that that was a song. Yeah, and and also you put me in the spot. Like I don't, I, I don't know. Like I don't know. All right. (laughs) 
All right, uh, Quill, let's take a look at some stats from the year. Sure. Um, so we um, want to go through each of us and, and, and say what our top song was statistically yeah. uh, on the podcast. Yeah, we can, st- we can start with top songs. Um, Alec, do you know what your, do, do, you, do you recall just off the top of your head what your top song might be? I think I gave perfect ratings to a couple. I gave perfect ratings, I believe, to my friends and Lightning Crashes. You nailed that okay. close to you. My friends and Lightning Crashes. Uh, so, and you did give perfect ratings to both of yeah. them. Yeah. Trev, what do you think your top rated song is? I think it was good. Yeah, it was. I think that was the only five I gave out. I think I gave out a ton of fours. But that was the only five you gave out, and I am still questioning it to this day. <laughs> it haunts haunts my, my sleep. It is empirically true that the song is good. Mm-hmm. Good song. Mm-hmm. Says the title. Um my top song, uh, I did not give any perfect ratings because of course I didn't. Um my top song was J A R by Green Day, which okay. I uh in retrospect I'm kinda surprised by, but uh yeah, it makes sense. I, I gave it a four point five. Um and uh yeah, I guess it was the best song of nineteen ninety five for me. How about um Average ratings from all three of us. I have a top three. Well, really, it's a top four. Um, because there's a three-way tie for second place um, between Lightning Crashes uh, by Live, in case you didn't know. Um, you Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette and My Friends by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. Uh, those all got an average rating of 4.08. Um, so really just missing, um, hall of fame territory. Um, and then our top rated song of the year is name. did it yeah we 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 accomplished it lowest rated song of the year that would be glycerine (laughs) by bush (laughs) (laughs) yeah so in retrospect without even like do you really think like just taking into account everything that we covered is that really the worst song that we covered do you think oh yeah yeah yeah. i agree looking at 1995 we had one two other songs um that rated under a three and that was tomorrow by silver chair and uh, come down by bush <laughs> all right okay so in terms of uh new entries in the hall of fame and the stall of blame what do we what do we have all together for official um entries for the Hall of Fame, we only had one, and that was uh, Name by uh, Goo Goo Dolls. Um, and the only official entry and our first official entry into the Stall of Blame is Bush's Glycerine <laughs> um, with a 1.83 rating. We're saying, uh, so for Hall of Fame, we're saying 4.25 and above. For um, Stall of Blame, we're saying 
under two. Okay. How does 1995 compare to 1994? Uh, 1995 to 94. So overall average, um, 1994's average song rating was 3.55. Um, I thought it was going to be considerably higher than what 1995 was. Um, but it was actually pretty close. The average rating for 1995 is 3.53. Oh, wow. So only two hundredths of a um, point off. So 94 scored slightly higher. Mm-hmm. 3.55 to 3.53. Yeah, I'm surprised by that um, but too. But that's overall average. Yeah. Um, obviously things get a little more interesting when we look at our individual averages. Um... At the beginning of our podcast, we made a little sort of like a wager about who our highest rated repeat artist would be. Um, so how are artists stacking up? Yeah, so um, I figured out a top three of um, repeated artists. And um, obviously, we're only two years in. So uh, this is based off artists uh, uh, with two or more appearances so far. Um, so our top three, there, there have only been five artists, um, who have had multiple appearances. Um, and, uh, the number three artist, I'll just do the top three, um, is, uh, the number three is REM, um, with a 3.67 average rating. Uh, the number two artist is Alanis Morissette, um, with a 3.96 average rating, um, with two songs, um, You Ought to Know and Hand in My Pocket. And then, um, the number one, uh, repeated artist is Live with a 4.17 average rating, wow. um, with Selling the Drama from 94 and Lightning Crashes from 95. Um, and we still have, I think, two more live songs to come. Uh, just one. Um, one or more. is it just one? Yeah. We don't get just When Lakini's the Dolphins Juice. Cry? No, no, When, when the Dolphins Cry. <laughs> <laughs> is that the na- name of the song? I think it's it just, just called The Dolphins Cry, right? I think so. Yeah. Is it a singular dolphin? That represents uh, the, all dolphinhood? I don't think so. I think the, the apostrophe dolphin? comes after dolphins. Okay. <laughs> so it's a possessive cry? I once... <laughs> the dolphins there cry, is a, this one a, a dolphin's girl, cry? There was a girl that I liked when I was a freshman in high school, and she came over to my house, and we sat in my living room, and my parents and my brother were home. Like, everyone was home. And I took out an acoustic guitar... And I played and sang the dolphins cry for her in the living room. <laughs> awesome. It is singular possessive. Oh, it's the singular wow. dolphins cry. According to um, Spotify. Okay. Yeah. I think if I remember Fair. correctly, I said Bullanish Morissette. It might have sounded like something else, but it I'm was. Pretty like, sure. it was I'm like pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was Bush. Blonde. I'm pretty sure Blonde. you said Bush, Sound and Bush blonde. is sitting. Don't try to squeeze your way out of this. Just, just saying, Bush is sitting at a 2.33 yeah. right now, baby. All right. Well, let's talk about the final stat and the only one that truly matters. Yeah. Uh, most generous and least generous raider. <laughs> yeah. So Alec is the most generous raider of 1995. Um, Al, do you think your average rating is above 3.75? Yes. 
It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's 3.71. 3.71, so it went down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, second place uh, is uh, me or Travis. Uh, I'm, think? I actually don't know this time around. Really? Yeah. I, feel I, like I guess it, I'm going to say Trav. I feel like it has to be me because I feel like I'm looking at the list and there are a lot of songs that I gave like fours to. Uh, 3.63 is your average rating, Oh, that's, that's pretty close to mine. Pretty good. Yeah, so you jumped uh, quite a bit. If you had to guess, <laughs> clearly, I'm, clearly I'm the... Uh, I'm the um I'm thinking you're somewhere least around generous I'm thinking reader. you're somewhere around three point three. You're saying three point three ish. Trav, what do you I say? I was definitely gonna guess under three point five. Um uh-huh. I'll go as low as uh, I'll go three point two. Hmm. Well my average rating is three point two one. Oh right. uh yeah. I'm uh I'm an asshole. And uh, I, I apologize for being honest and sincere. Um, okay. I wanted to draw attention to something that we did not talk about at last year's Potty Awards, which were great. Or- <laughs> Really, this annual tradition is um, just so much fun, and so I, we're, I look forward to every uh, year. But yeah. um, Billboard releases a list of the most played songs and the most played artists at the end of every year, and we overlooked this last year. So I thought it'd be worthwhile um, looking at the modern rock track artists. So basically, this is based on SoundScan. This is based on AirPlay. Um, what artists were played the most on alternative radio in general. Um, it's kind of curious. Number 10 is REM. Number nine is Elastica. Ninth most airtime. Mm. Oh. Number eight is Weezer. Number seven is Pearl Jam. Number six is Sponge, a band that we've barely discussed, but they're apparently getting a lot of airplay. So it's like what? It's, it's Molly, uh, parentheses, 16 Candles, and uh, what else is a hit off of uh, Rotting Pinata? Plowed? Plowed, yeah. Plowed? Plowed. Yeah, Plowed, plowed by Spongy. Um, <laughs> number five is Alanis Morissette. Number four is Better Than Ezra. I've got to assume primarily on the strength of good, but uh, maybe it's more complicated <laughs> than that. Number three is Live. Number two is Bush. And number one is Green Day. So uh, Bush. Green Day. Bush deserves it. Green Day is the number one most played artist of uh, 1995 on modern rock radio. Um, I'll read through the hot modern rock Hold on. tracks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold yeah. on real quick. And that's with an album not even being released that year. Uh, Green Day? Yeah. Right in Sunday yeah. came out in yeah, 96. Yes, yeah. Dookie was out in 94. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. The most played tracks on modern rock radio. Number 10, When I Come Around by Green Day. We covered that. Number 9, All Over You by Live was never a number one. So that's curious. Mm. Maybe just the, the cumulative airplay um, was strong enough. Number 8 is Molly by Sponge, which is uh, also pretty surprising. Uh, number 7, December by Collective Soul. Number 6, Lightning Crashes by Live. 
Number five, Name by Goo Goo Dolls. Number four, You Oughta Know by Alanis. Number uh, three, Come Down by Bush. Number two, Good by Better Than Ezra. And the number one most played song on alternative radio in 1995, Tomorrow by Silverchair. Kind of interesting to see. It, it's, it's curious to look at this list and see how many songs were not number ones at any point. Uh, you know, December, Molly, yeah. um, Connection by Elastica. Say It Ain't I So believe, by Weezer at number 14. I can't believe Molly was that popular. Really high. It's a good song. I, I like the, the guitar tone on that song. It's a good recording. Um, I was, that's another big misheard lyric song for me. I always, I could never tell if it was 16 Candles or 16 Cattle. <laughs> Down the drain. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, yes. I did not oh. understand. Okay. It's also the song where he says, Wilted flowers in a vase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too fancy. Trevor, it looked like you had something to say. I do. I have a correction for the modern rock um, discussion. Uh-oh. Insomniac came out on October 10th, 1995. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. Really? Uh, geek, okay. geek Stink Breath is on the, the top played tracks. Oh, okay. But I, I do imagine that it's, it's mostly the airplay of Dookie um, that's taken wow, that high. Wow, I... That I guess I totally blocked out that conversation when we talked about Insomniac. Um, and I don't know. Maybe this is ago. interesting to say. Uh, number one label, uh, DGC, played on alternative radio. Oh man, that's a, they, I feel like all the great albums from this era have. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. Yeah, are, but are, are from that label. Yeah. Um. Mainstream, I don't know if you guys looked at this ahead of time. It's pretty surprising. It's it's very alternative heavy, but with weird little sprinklings of Tom Petty and Van Halen thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say whole top tens, but three most played artists on uh, mainstream rock radio are number three, Tom Petty, number two, Collective Soul, and number one, Live. So Man, Sign me up for that list. <laughs> yeah. So is this, is Wildflowers, is that 94? Yes. Are we still, we're still working off the success of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say uh, top five hot album tracks. Number five is some piece of shit called In Fools Shine On by Brother King. All right. All right. <laughs> number four, When I Come Around by Green Day. Lots of overlap. Uh, number three, Better Man by Pearl Jam. Classic. Uh, number two, Lightning Crashes by Live. And number one, the most played track of mainstream radio in all of 1995, December by Collective Soul. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. December is pretty good, though. It is. It's great. Yeah. It really Thanks, comes guys. together all at the end there. They weave everything Dude. in. They got the different melodies. They got the string parts. They got the guitar parts. It's great. Oh, man. December is good. Yeah, it's, it's really surprising to see how alternative heavy the mainstream rock chart is at the end of the year. Turn your head now, baby, just spin me out. All right, you know what we came here for. It's everybody's 
ding dang top five songs and night top five albums in 1995 uh should i get us started yeah I th- that's, I that's what i've got it. in the outline okay so um we'll do everybody's number five everybody's number four three two one so on and so forth uh my number five is a new discovery discovered as a result of this podcast i chose the album only everything by juliana hatfield We ran into her when her song Universal Heartbeat was on the charts, and I I listened to it, and I really liked it. And I went back and listened to the album, and it sounds great. It's got just kind of the cocktail of great bass sounds, drum sounds, and guitar sounds. And the songs are very efficient. They're very melodic. Um, I will say, in, in looking further into her catalog, I've discovered that she can have a tendency to veer towards the cute side of things um particularly in her early music and she does a little bit of that here there's this song called fleur de lis the second song where it basically sounds like someone reading their french homework uh out loud it's what the lyrics are but uh i really like the album i think that every song is good I'm surprised to look at it and see that it clocks in at 14 songs and 50 minutes but it does not feel that way. It feels very efficient and, uh, you know, kind of old-fashioned pop construction, but with that great bubble grunge sound, the epitome of bubble grunge in my mind, and I like it a lot. Um, Yeah, Juliana Hatfield. I um, like her a lot and um, just need to spend some more time with her... Um... Uh, classic stuff I um, have liked her more recent material Um, I really liked uh, weird from last year yeah and um, uh, her 2015 album I think which is with the Julian Hatfield three but yeah uh, awesome melodies and uh, cool pick I should um, definitely check that I know a lot of her songs Feature like some interesting time changes and things like that. Um, not necessarily on this album, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, really good me- melodies. Um, yeah, just great. Quill? My number five favorite album of 1995 is uh, The Dirt of Luck by Helium. <laughs> Helium uh, featured Mary Timoney 
um, as the primary songwriter and guitarist. Um, they were, uh, like I said, the album was released on Matador. Um, it's just a really good, um, catchy, um, a little bit weird, uh, sometimes angular indie rock album. Um, kind of like, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say there was like some slacker elements like payment, but, um, very different. Um, Mary Timoney, uh, just has an excellent voice. Um, and her songwriting is very quirky. Um, two songs that stood out to me on the album, um, Super Bowl, which I believe was like a single. Um, I think that was a hit. Um, and Medusa, which had some corny moments, um, some chanting, um, of the word Medusa. (laughs) Um, I think there's like vibraphone or something on it, which is pretty interesting, but the chorus is awesome. Um, and yeah, just got some nice fuzzy guitar leads and, um, yeah, it's a really cool album. Um, yeah. So that's my, uh, that's my number five. Yeah. I listened for the first time, uh, when you listed it and I, I liked it a lot. I'll listen again. Yeah. I've heard a few Mary Timoney things and, um, I'm not really familiar with this album, but, um, your description was, um, was interesting and it makes me want to check it out. Thank you. Trav, what's your number five? My number five is an album that came out in 1999. Um, and, uh, it was, I'm kind of working around it because the songs were recorded from 1992 to 1995 and it has a very 1995 feel to it. It is music from the adventures of Pete and Pete by the band Polaris. I can try to hide, but why waste my time? Polaris was three fourths of the band Miracle Legion. And um, I just have a strong connection to this from watching the show growing up. And um, it has never not sounded amazing to me at any stage in my life. Um, It still sounds great. Um, Even being kind of reintroduced to it, um, having that kind of awakening like, this is exactly the kind of like, college rock that i love you know when it, whenever i kind of fell into that about 10 years ago or you know 12 years ago or whatever it was when i really got into like rem and the feelies and stuff this fit in really well with it and um i've just continued to feel the same passion that i felt about it then um really clean guitar stuff um great vocal stuff quirky kind of thing that that mark mulcahy was doing um three-piece band um just really really wonderful stuff man uh talking about uh polaris and uh the adventures of pete and pete brings me back to the summer of i think it was 2007 uh travis you let me borrow um the first two seasons of um the adventures of pete and pete on dvd and, um, I just spent that summer, um, 
watching those and it just uh, that brought me back to elementary school and watching it um, after school um, and yeah it's just uh, really awesome mm-hmm. memories um, yeah really important and incredible and fun uh, TV show um, I should probably spend more time with the album um, I've always loved uh, well of course hey Sandy um, but um, more than that even I've always really loved the song she is staggering um, it sounds like fall um, and it just sounds like uh, just a perfect representation of um, of that uh, that album in that TV show for sure yeah, I'm nostalgic even just for, I remember getting discs of Pete and Pete from Netflix. And I, when Travis mentioned this, I wanted to go back and watch it, especially since, you know, the colors are changing and all that. Uh, we're recording this in late September, by the way. Um, I was surprised to see that, like, Pete and Pete DVDs cost hundreds of dollars online now. So, wow. and they're not available on any streaming services. So, Wow. Um, it'll be a while before I can watch Pete and Pete again, but I, I'm ready to watch Pete and Pete after listening to this yeah. music. Yeah. yeah. There's that moment, uh, Quillen, you know, you kind of mentioned she is staggering as a highlight. For me, the highlight is um, in the song Everywhere, where the harmonica kicks in, and it's, it's played a lot in the series as well. There's just this very, like, perfect harmonica part, and uh, sort of um, just wraps everything up. It, it incorporates all of the feelings, the rest of the album, in a really nice way. Yeah. Thanks. All right. My number four is Liquid Swords by the Jizza. the first wave of Wu-Tang solo albums after uh, 36 Chambers, the Wu-Tang debut came out and kind of introduced everybody. And this whole wave of albums, um, there's really like this period from 93 to 95 when um, all these, you know, this first wave of Wu-Tang Clan albums is coming out and they have very, very consistent production by the RZA, uh, you know, spare piano, um, very mechanical drums and bass, um, they're not flashy production. It's just atmospheric. And um, I, I think that uh, at least the first track on Liquid Swords is really the, the best thing that has ever come out of the Wu-Tang label. Um, if you want to know whether you'd be into this album or not, if you listen to the first track and you don't like it, you're, you're, you should stop listening because the, the first track is just so incredible to me. And the thing that makes this stand out over 36 Chambers or over um, also Raekwon's very good 1995 uh, solo Wu-Tang album <laughs> is um, the Jizza just has a very, very musical flow in the same way that this is something that I don't think about many rappers. You know, I think that generally the production and the lyrics and the rhythms, you know, they all have to come together in some way. But Jizza is sort of like like early Jay-Z in the way that 
there's something about just the rhythm of his delivery that is like just as infectiously catchy as like a Beatles melody. And I think that that's a really impressive thing. And uh, I'm, I'm personally charmed by... You know, over time, I think that Wu-Tang has gotten a little more cuddly and less threatening to to the, the average listener. But I think that a lot of that is that you can at least, if you're thinking about any references to violence or drugs or anything like that in the lyrics, it's all put through this cinematic um, kind of effect where, you know, this is a group of musicians that is obsessed with martial arts movies and chess, and everything gets filtered through this sort of obsession and comes out into um, sort of like a fictionalized fantasy cinematic world. And um, this album is really consistent all the way through. I think it's just a really strong album and, and one of the best rap albums of the 90s. Yeah, you'd recommended it to me a couple of years ago, and I think I checked it out, and I was I was just kind of stunned by it. Like it was very cool, and um, I had a hard time kind of grasping it, but it, it was still like, yeah, just very impressed. It left a really good impression on me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll have to check out Liquid Swords sometime. Um, I have obviously have been aware of it for quite a long time. Um, and it is on my long list of, of classic, um, you know, golden era um, hip hop uh, to uh, check out. Um, I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, your inclusion of it on um, your list out definitely um, makes me even more interested. So I will check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think if you like the production on Illmatic, I think you'll like the production on Liquid Swords. Yeah. Quill? Okay, my uh, number four favorite album of 1995. Um, we've got a repeating band for me uh, from, from 1994. Um, this uh, album is uh, LP2 by Day Real Estate, or um, also referred to as um, the Pink Album. This album has a pretty strange history. Um, uh, basically, um, well, it's a follow-up to um, the Sunny Day Real Estate's classic uh, Diary album, um, considered widely considered um, the be-all, end-all um, second-wave emo album. And um, this uh, follow-up... Um, ended up being eight songs of new material um one song um we talked about um quite a few episodes ago because it was on the uh batman forever soundtrack um and the album uh, closes with um 
a song uh, hilariously called Rodeo Jones, um, which was originally um, recorded during the diary sessions. Um, so yeah, just kind of strange all around. Um, when it was originally released, it hadn't been mastered. Um, I believe my understanding is that the band broke up um, either during or shortly after the mixing of the album. Um, there was a lot of drama, I think, between um, the two guitarists, uh, Jeremy Enoch and Dan Horner. I also think the band just um, didn't care for Enoch kind of um, becoming a, a weirdo Christian. Um and uh just kind of uh i think things just kind of dissipated um and i'm sure there are more details um that i'm overlooking and don't really care to uh to get into but um yeah so so there's just a lot of uh interesting things around the album and um i love it <laughs> i love the album um I think it's the album that I started with, um, with Sunny D Real Estate, uh, before Diary. Um, and maybe for that reason and that reason alone, uh, it's why I prefer it over Diary. Um, to this day, it's not my favorite Sunny D Real Estate, but, uh, album. Um, I do think, uh, despite it not being mastered, I even remember the CD, um, sounding better than, um, Diary. Um, they've since, like, I think mastered it and did a vinyl reissue, which sounds great. Um, but yeah, it's just more, uh, more melodic emo, um, pretty dark at times. Um, amazing vocal performance from Jeremy Enoch, amazing musicianship all around the drummer, William Goldsmith, um, kind of rein things in a bit and, um, plays less fills is more in the pocket, um, which, uh, does the album well. Um, I think the, the main highlight of the album might be, mm-hmm. um, might be the bass playing. Um, uh, why am I forgetting <laughs> the bassist name? Nate, uh, Nate Mandel, um, just really, really slays with his bass lines. Um, I think, um, it starts really strong. The first three tracks, Friday, Theo B and Red Elephant are very memorable, awesome, sunny day songs. Um, the next three or so, um, are less memorable, um, but good. Uh, and then, um, Escarabade and Jaina or Jana, however you say it, um, are just classic, um, all-time favorite sunny day songs for me especially Escarabate. i just love the dynamics and um the really intricate um really kind of off-kilter rhythm um it's very very intense enoch um yells a lot um he's uh singing very loudly um during the heavy parts and yes uh really really cool song um and yeah overall just an excellent album um and uh, that is my number four. I consider myself to have grown up somewhat of an emo boy, and I have never made it all the way through this album. Um, I have started it on occasion, and I get distracted and don't finish it. Is it possible that one might listen to this album and find it to be boring, or is it more likely that there's something there that needs to be paid closer attention to. I don't really know um, that I could convince you to um, 
to uh to get there with it i i just don't know um yeah i i just feel like if you didn't already love it before like i i don't know what to tell you um you know i mentioned the bass playing is really good and the drumming is better um but as far as like what you like in the style of music and stuff I just think, you know, you like what you like. And if you um, didn't like it before, I I really don't think I'm going to be able to um, to convince you. Okay. What's your number four? My number four is an album by the band called Air Miami, and it is called Me, Me, Me. Me, Me, Me. Or <laughs> Me, Me, Me. I don't know if that's like the warm-up vocal thing. Air Miami is uh, Mark Robinson and Bridget Cross from the band Unrest, which is one of my favorite bands, at least the Mark Robinson and Bridget Cross version of Unrest. I love Unwound. It's, uh, it's Unrest. The name, the name of the band is Unrest. It's not Unwound. It's not Unsane. It's Unrest. Um. They played just these very clean sort of like uh, they were a band from D.C. and uh, clean guitar stuff. And it was kind of um, maybe a little bit angular, but also just just kind of a little bit droney, too, um, in a way that I really love. And um, Air Miami was basically a continuation of that. I, it's without the drummer from Unrest, whose name was Phil Krauth. And um, he was a very good drummer, and I think he brought a lot to the band. And um, it's not nearly as good without him. But um, there's some very cool stuff that happens on this album. Um, There are moments that sound like maybe Galaxy 500, some dreamy sort of um, um, dreamy dream pop. And um, then there's like this faster kind of, like it kind of opens with a faster um, maybe new wave kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it's a little quirky and, um, just a cool, a cool release from, um, some artists that I really love. Yeah. I didn't know what to make of this. And as a result, I need to listen to it again, but it was not easily categorizable. I was trying to think of reference points the whole time that I was listening to it. So I'm curious to hear what your reference points are, but I came away from it, like, the only thing that I could actually think of um, was seeing cake, slightly, just in that it was clean and groovy um, and had a sort of an implicit edge in a way, but I didn't know what to do with it, which was refreshing, so I'll listen to it again. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Number three, I chose My Boy's Pavement. The album is Wowie Zowie. I know that you two like it a fair amount, too. Sunday drive past your 
It's actually of the five of the four classic pavement albums that's excluding their final album this is actually my least favorite of the four classics i know that that sounds like an arbitrary distinction but uh i love pavement enough that here they are at number three this is an album that is simultaneously uh a sign of the band maturing and a sign of the band letting loose and getting a little wacky um I tend to like the songs that sound a bit more like the band maturing. I like a lot of the songs that kind of slow down and have an interesting atmosphere and a little bit of melancholy. Um, I think the big steps forward are the song Blackout, uh, the song Father of a Sister of a Thought, which is a very convincing country song by Pavement. Malkmus does a really nice job filling in those shaggy boots. And... um, uh, Grave Architecture is another song that really stands out to me. And then uh, the rocker AT&T, which has a a great chorus. Uh, Those are songs that I really like. And you can also hear Malcolmus kind of um, becoming a bit more of a conventional guitar hero. I think that he's had an excellent, interesting guitar style from the very beginning of this band. But on songs like Rattled by the Rush, you can hear him... uh, channeling his inner Jimmy Page, which has, of course, become kind of the main theme of his solo career. He's turned out to be a really fantastic guitarist in uh, in a way that sort of marries the classic rock mold with their shambolic, uh, spontaneous sloppiness. Um, in a way, Neil Young has already covered that that territory on lead guitar before. I think that there's a lot of similarities, particularly with the next Pavement album. I think that um, there are some serious Neil Young lead guitar vibes. But, uh, you know, there's some really wacky punk songs on this album, too. Uh, Best Friend's Arm uh, stands out. I'm not sure how much more I can name off the top of my head. Flux equals rad. Um and those are, are definitely cool songs. They're, they're not my favorites, but uh, altogether, this is a pretty long and diverse and, uh, and interesting pavement record. And uh, still, still listen to it on a, a fairly regular basis. Yeah, Wowie Zowie is excellent. It's awesome. Um, it might be my favorite pavement album, but... Uh... I don't know. Um, it might take uh, revisiting um, Brighton the Corners first to really determine that, um, which I'm sure will happen <laughs> uh, for this podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, Blackout is an amazing song. Um, that's probably my favorite on the album. I really, really love Blackout. It's just beautiful, beautiful um, guitars interesting um interesting structure and i just like how quiet and beautiful it is <laughs> and kind of eerie in places i don't know it's just it's it's a really awesome song and l do you really not um like uh do, do you not care for um terror twilight or is it just like a lesser pavement album for you um I definitely don't love Terror Twilight. I think it's fairly agreed upon that Terror Twilight is not 
one of the great Pavement albums. And, and I think Malcolmus would be the first one to say it. You know, uh, Pavement broke up the year that Malcolmus collaborated with David Berman on American Water. And that was the same time period when Terror Twilight came out. And Malcolmus has said, I think in numerous interviews, that when he realized how much better American Water was than Terror Twilight, that was when he decided that Pavement needed to end. I just wanted to say that Wowie Zowie is my favorite Pavement album, and I wanted to give a special shout-out to the song Grounded, mm-hmm. my favorite Pavement song and one of my all-time favorite songs. So here, here's the thing with Grounded and also with Pueblo is um, I got the extended edition of Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain before I had ever heard any of Wowie Zowie. This is, you know, this is back in the CD days and, and I only heard what I owned. And I had gotten into Crooked Rain at such a young age that when it came out as the double disc expanded edition, I was in college and I, I think I won out and probably bought it the week that it came out. And there are two there are two different demo versions of Pueblo and there's a demo version of Grounded and I got attached to those versions and to this day I think that they're slightly superior to the Wowie Zowie versions. And the Grounded uh, version is fast, right? Maybe a little bit. It's actually really inconsistent uh tempo-wise. It's very sloppy oh. and I I might have at the time I think I really liked sloppy music. Hmm. Um there's an energy that's different. There's also, in terms of Pueblo, there was a um, there was a song that was called Pueblo parentheses Beach Boys on the uh, Crooked Rain outtakes, where there were no lead vocals. It was just the beautiful guitars and some uh, some kind of sha la la vocals, and that's worth looking back at. As a 35-year-old, I have no patience for bonus tracks of any kind or outtake collections. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Please, Spotify, please stop the album where the artist intended for the album to stop. But, um, you know, that was a time when I was 19 or 20 and pavement was so important to me. And, you know, our identities felt like they were so intertwined with these artists at that time that I was obsessed with the extended editions. and. Um, the Crooked Rain extended editions were really good, but uh, man, that slanted and enchanted two disc set had s- just pure gold from start to finish. All yeah. of those little nuggets. Um, so, yeah, that was all this stuff was just huge for me. Yeah, and there's a handful on the Wowie Zowie um, extended edition um, that are is pretty interesting. Quill? Um, my number three favorite album of 1995 is um, the debut album from The Rentals. Return of the Rentals. Um, it was released by uh, Maverick Records. Um, the Rentals um, are uh, Matthew Sharp, 
um, the bassist from Weezer. Um, and uh, on this album, Patrick Wilson, um, Weezer's drummer, played on it. Um, it also features uh, sisters um, Petra and Rachel Hayden um, on violin. Uh, one of them played violin. One of them, I think, played synth, uh, like Moog. Moog synthesizer and um I think they sang backup vocals um and um I think were were they were they both in the band that dog or one of them was in the band that dog um and yeah um it is the return of the rentals is a really great um pretty much retro power pop album um kind of similar to like some of the more uh slower and mid-tempo songs um on Weezer's The Blue album um just with lots and lots of um like 80s synths um which really um uh lends themselves well to the album um Matt Sharp's melodies are really great um the harmonies are amazing um the simple pop song structures work really well um these songs are really good um it really has one of the best one two three opening punches i've ever heard on an album um the love i'm searching for the opener um and then waiting and then the hit friends of p um it's just an amazing um way to open um to open the album um and i've always loved friends of p waiting which is a little bit faster tempoed and really sounds like um a big time influence on like um the uh early aughts um vagrant records band uh the anniversary um particularly their uh designing a nervous breakdown album um yeah it's uh uh th- that used to be my favorite song in this album but most recently i've been pretty obsessed with um the opener the love i'm searching for um the melody and harmonies during the chorus are just absolutely stupendous um i just really really love the chorus a lot um it, the verse is good but it makes you wait and kind of um i don't know uh the verse isn't like anything to freak out about, but then once you get to the chorus, it, it just makes the chorus that much better. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the best choruses I've heard in some time. Um, like re, uh, you know, spending time with this album again, it's just been wonderful. Um, the rest of the album, I think I said in a previous episode, the rest of the album is, um, quite, uh, well, it's not nearly as good as those first three songs. Um, but I'll say that while that might be true, um, it's still good. Like every song is good. Um, there's not a bad song, um, in the bunch. And, um, yeah, I think that in revisiting these albums, um, this one, maybe out of the, um, five that I'm covering might be the one that, uh, sticks with me the most. Um, so yeah, awesome stuff. Great album. I was delighted that you chose this album. Yeah, I don't think that I had heard this since I was actually in middle school or high school, and uh, I remembered liking it then. I, I'm I'm very impressed and surprised that it came out in 1995. Um, 
So I, I will definitely have to listen a little bit more closely. I, I did feel like there was a slight sort of like twee, like kind of like a, a cute vibe that, that, that pushed me away just a little bit. But I, I definitely, um, I loved that it felt like people having fun. Um, yeah, and that's not a vibe that we've been getting a lot from alternative radio at this time. So yeah, cool choice. Trav, what was your number three? My number three was the self-titled album by the band Ben Folds 5. Everybody's talking about you now. You know it's true. Because it always has been sports and wine for you. Um, I got into this album after Whatever and Ever Amen had come out and Brick happened and Brick was such uh, its own thing that it was, it grabbed me and it was, you know, it was a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really impressed by that in 1997. I think it came out in 1997. And um, yeah, got the album, loved Whatever and Ever Amen, then went back and picked up the self-titled album. and. Um, that has aged much better. It um, is not so ballad heavy as whatever and ever Amen is. Um, it it rocks pretty much most mm-hmm. of the way through, and um, all of the musicians in the band are excellent. Um, all three musicians are really like on top of their game here. Um, vocally. I think the thing I was struck by the last time I listened to this album was just how great Ben Fold's voice is, is. It's just a really great voice and it's so effortless and I don't understand. I always remember listening to him and it just seemed like he was just kind of casually throwing stuff out, but his voice is like pitch perfect throughout this album, throughout everything he does really. Um, and, uh, you know, melodically, Musically, um, just very colorful, a lot of things happening that don't happen with other albums from this era or really other albums in the genre. And uh, it helped me to appreciate what they were doing here. Um, still remains one of my favorite albums. Yeah, I've uh, never listened to this album, but um, yeah, the drummer... Uh, Ben Fold's drummer is just awesome. He is fantastic. Um, incredible drummer. Um, yeah, and it's, it's yeah. quite an accomplishment that they have, you know, a pretty rockin' piano trio that has an edge, even in the context of 90s rock, where perceived edge is everything. Um, I was surprised by how much of this album I, I was familiar with, not because I'd listened to it before, but because I had... Um, owned a copy of Naked Baby Photos, which is sort of like an odds and sods comp that Ben Folds put out to ca- probably to capitalize on the success of whatever and ever on then. It's got live versions of a bunch of the songs on this album. Um, and I always liked that. I always liked that actually a little bit better than whatever and ever on men. When I think about this band, I 
I think about how much I like the bass. I like the bass playing a lot. I like the drums a lot. I like the background vocals a lot. It takes me a little while to get to Ben Folds on the list of things that I like about Ben Folds 5. Mm. And uh, I think most of that doesn't really have anything to do with this album or whatever and ever I'm in. I think that it's really, it's residue left over from specifically the song Rock in the Suburbs, which I had such a visceral hatred of when it came out that it colored everything else I knew about Ben Folds. And, and I, I also think on that first solo album, he let the sentimental side of things get, get a little carried away. And he, he had some kind of maudlin ballads and, um, I was glad to look back at this and remind myself of how much I like, uh, Jackson Cannery and Alice Childress. And, um, if you haven't listened to naked baby photos, it's a total throwaway novelty, but for those of y'all who wear fanny packs is an amazing display of musicianship and it is sure to make you laugh and smile. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you're right about the solo work. Um, I have a really hard time with a lot of his solo work. There's still some, there's, there's a, a few things that happen here and there where I'm pretty impressed by it, but a lot of times, you know, he, he just gets so, so kitschy and ironic and it gets um, too much. Mm-hmm. Too much. And and with Rock in the Suburbs, the album, you mentioned there's a lot of ballads and things like that. But the biggest difference between Ben Folds 5 and Ben Folds solo work for me is the jazzy stuff. Like chord wise, you know, all uh, Ben Folds 5 stuff is like major sevenths and minor sevenths. And then when he moves on to the solo stuff, it's just like major minor. Like it removes any of the color that makes Ben Folds 5 so special. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned my, my number two before on the podcast uh, it is Wrecking Ball by Emmylou Harris which is an album that um, is uh, I guess technically you could call it a country album it's produced by Daniel Lanois who we know from, from working with U2 although he's worked with of course uh, he's done some significant work with Bob Dylan and uh the Neville brothers and uh, probably missing some people that he's worked with. Um, uh, It's uh, cobbled together from a variety of songwriters. um, And that's something that normally I think we would, the three of us would shy away from, but Emmylou Harris's voice is just one of the most powerful, iconic voices. And, um, this is another one where, like the the Jizza album, I would say, if you listen to the title track and you don't feel something, then you should just turn away. But the title track, it's written by Neil Young. Uh, Neil Young sings background vocals on it. It's the song Wrecking Ball. It's so, the vocal performance is so delicate and the song is so beautifully arranged. Um, sometimes Emmylou Harris's voice is almost disappearing in some of the words that she sang. But if you- Uh, 
And I was just stunned the first time that I heard that, or, or possibly the first time that I remembered it, because uh, my dad owned this album when I was a kid. But um, all the, the selections of songs are, are really good. There seems to be sort of a running through line about addiction and alcoholism. I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't looked into whether that's autobiographical content for Emmy Lou Harris, but everything's got a little bit of an edge and everything is arranged. The songs often feel like they could be traditional country songs, but they're arranged in a very modern, sparse, atmospheric feeling way. And the album is, um, it's one of those summer night albums that just feels like it just nails the, the humid feeling of, uh, the middle of summer and, um, time kind of melting away and uh strongly recommended yeah that title track is really something um the way she sings and her falsetto turns into a whisper Mm -hmm. is unlike anything i've ever heard and just a really incredible song um the rest of the album is cool interesting there's Colin, you'd probably like it. There's uh, some Christian stuff going on there. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> recommended for you. Um, I actually listened to some of the outtakes, and I know it's not, you know, breaking the rules. <laughs> the outtakes were pretty cool. The different versions of the songs on the album were, yeah. were pretty interesting. But, um, yeah, there's, if you're into, I don't know, the traditional folk country tinged folk stuff, um, it's good, but the title track is absolutely incredible. Yeah, cool. Quill, what was your number two? My second favorite album of 1995 is a little album called You Would Prefer an Astronaut by Hum. RCA Records. Um, this album slaps. Um, back when I first got into Hum, it was from Downward is Heavenward, and um, I think that uh, I um, when I finally checked out, um, you'd prefer an astronaut. Oh, Downward is Heavenward is from '97. Um, when I went back and checked out you'd prefer an astronaut I don't think I liked it nearly as much at first um and then uh maybe like 10 years ago or so something really clicked and I got really into the opener um little dipper from this album um and then that just kind of like hooked me on the first half of the album which I used to not love that much except for the hit stars um i've always kind of preferred and probably to this day still do um uh love uh prefer the back half of the album um why i like the robins 
Um, I'd Like Your Hair Long and I Hate It Too, which are both just complete rippers. Um, and then even the like um, closer, like uh, the slowcore uh, closer uh, songs of Farewell and Departure, which is just beautiful. Um, yeah, that back half of that album is of, of this album is just incredible and it's funny because i feel like downward is a heavenward the first half of the album is um the superior album, uh part and i kind of just lose interest um except for the song dreamboat um a little later on but um after the first four or five songs um things just kind of start uh waning for me and um with this album things kick in after the halfway point so maybe i should just combine um the first half of um down order heavenward and the second half of you for an astronaut and then i'd have the perfect hum album for me um but yeah anyways it's uh yeah it's just a really great album i think um it was kind of characterized by some critics as space rock um whatever that means um i guess it does kind of sound like uh at times from like another mm-hmm. world but i think that that's more so um prevailing on um downward is heavenward um this album is just kind of a heavy and um dynamic um indie rock album with um low-key singing um singing really awesome melodies the melodies are sneaky good and um they only get better with um the next album downward is heavenward um so yep that's my number two um stoked about it and um uh hum rules <laughs> yeah it seemed like this album is very special in that it is so heavy and melodic um in in such a rare way like when bands were heavy in 1995 it meant that they were also aggressive or um just not necessarily melodic maybe um you know just sort of atonal or something like that but um yeah there was a a a unique beauty to um this album that made it so special to a lot of people who were um waiting for something like this i think Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a, a curious relationship with Hum that ends up kind of seeming heartless. But um, when I heard Hum, I, I really needed to hear Hum because I, I I was playing in rock bands and I hadn't figured out how to add my voice to a rock band. Um, and hearing Downward is Heavenward specifically, I realized I was like, oh, here's like a sort of uncharismatic guy with a low voice fronting a like a heavy rock band. And I, I took that and I ran with it and I had like great success in, in using that as like the template to kind of get myself started as a singer. And now I listen to Hum and I'm like, oh, the singer's kind of uncharismatic and has a really low voice <laughs> and I'm like I'm like, I don't really want to listen to this. Um, so I've I've kind of used them and tossed them away but i had forgotten how good this album was i i never forgot how good downward is heavenward was <clears throat> but i think when i when i think of this album i think of she thinks she's missed the train to mars 
she's out there counting stars. And that's the only thing that I think about when I think of this album. And listening back, I had to remind myself, like, okay, track two is, like, really rocking. Um, you mentioned I actually didn't make it to the second half this time around, but you mentioned I'd hate it too. And the second you said that title, I was like, oh man, I remember being 17 and listening to that song and thinking like nothing could possibly rock harder than this. Yeah, that is for sure. My favorite for sure. My favorite. Yeah. I, I will never forget, uh, when I think of Downward is Heavenward specifically when I think of Isle of the Cheetah. I think of uh, going sledding at night with my friends, which is in itself like sledding in the dark is, is a pretty weird experience. And coming back to my room and turning on my lava lamp. And I think my lava lamp was kind of new and listening to Hum. And uh, having oh, a girl for like a, like a girlfriend that I like actually really, really liked for the first time. Um, precious, precious memories. And uh, just heavy emotions, heavy, otherworldly, romantic feeling, and that's that's what I associate with downward to sevenward. I prefer if you'd prefer to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't elect to be an Electra three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Declined. <laughs> Trav, number two. Number two is the album. Exclamation point by the dismemberment plan. Join the sidewalk crowd and disappear. Catch the last train to There's not much more to discuss. There's you and me, but there's no us. So you just get out of the way. I'm not sure where I'm going to go. One of my all-time favorite bands. Uh, this is their first album, and um, it's quite a bit different than the rest of their catalog. But it's also probably my second favorite album of theirs at this point in my life. You know, they they go on to become so much more experimental, um, and they're still kind of like a post-punk band here, or you know, um vaguely indie rock and I, there's something about this album that i really like that's very like um like basement band um it has that quality to it mm-hmm. and that's i like associating that element with the band um because later on they they go on to become this very heady sort of like um you know they, they incorporate electronics and sampling and things like that um but yeah, at its purest sort of rock um, format, I, I, um, I, I really appreciate that about this album. Uh, different drummer, and um, that's, a, that's a big point here. Um, the drummer here is named Steve Cummings. Um, he's fine. He's very good. But he's they very replace good. him with Joe Easley, who is unbelievable one of the greatest drummers of all time but the drumming here is still totally cool yeah and if they'd never changed over they still would have been a great band um but uh it's not necessarily the same band that got all of the 
accolades and attention that they went on to get with emergency and I and change and things like that. Um, yeah, there's, there are hooks here that are just kind of buried. Um, the production's a little rough. It's not as, um, radio friendly as they became later on, but, uh, man, man, do I, I really love this album. There's some, something about it that feels very much a part of my core. Um, I associate it with the first time that I saw him when I was in high school and, um, yeah, it just feels like very much a part of me. Yeah. I, I think this was one of my first times listening to this album and I was incredibly impressed by it. I did feel, um, like I, it was so intense that I, I sort of felt desensitized, um, after a little while and it's a very reasonable yeah. length. I don't remember how long it is. It's very, it's not much over half an hour, but I felt like mm-hmm. it could be like 20 minutes long and it would get its job done. Um, but I'm sure a lot of that also would be cured on, on re listen, but yeah, it was intense, but yeah, I, I mean, I would love to have a conversation with them about how they're writing these songs, these wacky songs. And, uh, I was, you know, despite the fact that, yes, they do go on to have, I mean, back in the drumming on back and forth by the dismemberment plan in 1999, it's just one of my favorite things that I can think of that any musicians ever done. But I was, I was very impressed with the drums on, on exclamation point. Yeah. All right. It's number one time. Um, I'm, I, I, I guess I'm not going to say much about mine because it's going to come up in an upcoming episode and I don't want to steal that episode's fire. For my number one album of 1995, I'm choosing the album that I would have chosen in 1995. I'm choosing What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. This is an incredibly expensive album, and it sounds expensive, and you can hear every dollar that went into it. This is a big budget, big big major label, huge pop rock fest, and it just sounds like a million bucks. The songs are almost entirely classic. Um, is it the most original thing in the world? No, that's not the point. Um, it's uh, a gorgeous sounding testament to pop rock and all its forms over the decades. 
And uh, I don't want to say a whole lot more because I'm very excited to talk about it next week. Not necessarily as excited to talk about Wonderwall. So I'll leave there some suspense there. But the album itself is uh, a, a lifelong love of mine. It's an incredible album. Start to finish. Um, it was then. It is now. Um, just a terrific a terrific help to someone who's, you know, what, 13 at that point and yeah. just kind of like opening your eyes to, um, to craftsmanship and songwriting and things like that. They really nailed it here. And, um, I really benefited from the time I spent listening to this. I, it was one of my favorites. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When it came out, like I listened to it all the time. Quillen, what do you love about what's the story morning glory? I I never cared. Um, I like uh, Wonderwall. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I've never listened to What's the Story, Morning Glory, and I I am looking forward to listening to it. Um, for the uh Wonderwall episode. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's really it for me. Yeah. All right, well, why don't you tell us about your number one? Oh, my number one favorite album of 1995 is a little album um, by a little uh, Chicago band, band from Chicago, um, called The Sea and Cake. Um, The album is called The Biz. second album of 1995 um which is crazy to think about um they're uh they were really really prolific um to start off their career um their first album uh which was self-titled came out in uh october of 1994 um and then their second album, their first of 1995, um, Nassau, came out um, in March of 1995. And then um, their third album, second of 1995, uh, The Biz, came out in October of 95. Um, so they came out with three albums. I mean, from October 94... Um, October 20th, 94 was when the self-titled came out. And then October uh, 10th of 95 is when the biz came out. So three albums uh, within a year, um, which is just insanity. Um, And then their fourth album, The Fawn, uh, didn't come out until 97. Um, Yeah, The Biz. um, The Biz is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, And I don't know that to this day it is my favorite scene cake album actually um it was for a time it's the one that i got into the band um from the scene cake play like a 
jazzy um style of indie rock lots of jazz chords um some jazz rhythms um they also incorporate um some other uh genres that um are atypical of indie rock like uh samba and calypso and tropicalia um and uh yeah it, it uh the biz was like kind of their um it's a little more rough around the edges um than they came to be as as um their first two albums but um it's just them at their um best place before they got really polished um and started messing with electronics um there's still a sense of urgency on it um there's still some like lightly distorted guitar in places and some very uh, urgent drumming, um, from John McIntyre, who, um, is incredible, and, um, also was in Tortoise, is in Tortoise, um, and, uh, yeah, oh, by the way, this album was released, um, by Thrill Jackie Records, which I, I believe is a Chicago-based record label, um, that still exists, as do the Sea and Cake, um, they, uh, put out their first album in 94, as I've said, their most recent album, came out in 2018 um and as far as i know they're still going um they're one of my absolute favorite bands ever because um they have not put out a bad release um i love each and every release of theirs some more than others but um it's just uh the most um consistent run of records um by a band that i can think of um it's pretty insane that they can um uh, have been a band for uh 25 plus years now um and uh still be putting out putting out great music it um brings me back to the summer of 2006 the summer um after i graduated college i was living um with some friends who were in bands um and was interning for the record label that they were on and um i was friends with um the people who were running the label and um i was um not working otherwise during that summer and it was just like a great last um hurrah before um starting to become an adult and starting to work um full-time jobs and stuff and uh it it just brings me back to a to a really fun time in life i'm a really bittersweet time in life because i really missed um college kind of immediately um and uh yeah I, i guess i just um feel nostalgic and emotional when i when i think of this album and um what it uh meant to me um when i was first getting into it um it might be like the last album that i have that kind of uh connection to yeah listening back to it today i i I really hadn't listened to it in over a decade and i was like oh i'm i i would put this in my regular rotation absolutely like right now like a lot of things that really appealed to me right now and it it also is definitely going to make me want to this weekend i'm definitely going to listen to everybody which had previously been kind of the the scene cake album that interested me the most yeah and i an album I haven't thought about in ages. Everybody's my favorite. I love the biz. I am a biz boy. <laughs> and 
It is so, so great. Um, I think the one um, sort of adjective um, that I think of with this album that hasn't been mentioned is that it's quiet. It rocks, but it's a very quiet album. Yeah. And it's, but it still maintains its edge. It's not a folky, gentle. It's not gentle, but it's quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if there is, it's very subtle and it's, it's moody um, and there's an edge to it despite, um, despite its quietness. And uh, man, seeing Cake, you can't, you can try to replicate what they're doing, but I don't think anybody else really does it like them. Hmm. Trev, what's your number one? My favorite album of 1995 is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by the Smashing Pumpkins. It is, you know, at the end of 1994, I think I mentioned something about R.E.M. and my favorite, favorite band and favorite, you know, albums, whether it was Monster or New Adventures in Hi-Fi. I feel like over the last year or two, I've gradually, very, very gradually been moving from like R.E.M. being my favorite band to the Smashing Pumpkins being my favorite band. And it's very, it's a very strange, and I, I, I'm worried that this is a nostalgia thing where it's like, I'm just going back to this moment where I was 13 or 14 and trying to relive it by saying this was my, this was my favorite album then. But I could still, I swear, I swear I can still sense the same things that I felt at that time like it hasn't changed for me these songs are still like so magical and they they you know Billy Corgan talked about how he wrote this album and sort of like created it for like a teenager it wasn't for like you know the cool 20 year olds and stuff and he maybe he said this because all the cool 20 year olds hated him (laughs) and rightfully so because he's up his butt a lot of the times but but um, you know, he talked about like the isolated teenager and how he was trying to like reach out to them. And um, man, it it I was absolutely the target audience and it just, you know, it, it hit me. And um, you know, we'll talk about this more in nineteen ninety six because there'll be a, a, a nineteen seventy nine episode. Um, so I don't want to say too much, but um yeah, I feel pretty confident at this point in saying that this is this is actually my favorite album of all time. Cool. I approve. So, yeah. I mean, we'll check in again next year at the end of 1996 and I'll say, "No, actually New Adventures of Hi in Hi-Fi is my favorite <laughs> album of all time." Uh, but right now, yeah. I mean, and probably for the last year or two, it's been Melancholy. So, um deep deep love and appreciation for this uh on another level uh than anything that um that i i, I listen to 
I did listen to Melancholy um, when I was going through all the albums I wanted to um, revisit for for this uh, task for coming up with my my list of favorites from uh, this uh, the year of '95. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, this time around it wasn't as bad as I um, feel like I rem- remember thinking it was. Um, some pretty great songs that weren't uh singles stuck out to me um you know some of the singles i like um yeah i i'm looking forward to listening to it again when we um get to the um episode about 1979 for sure yeah i'll definitely champion this album when we get to it but i also uh it's a little more complicated than that yeah, if anything, it fascinates me that you love the what I think of as the sort of fairy tale world or the children's story world of Melancholy Infinite Sadness, but you reject all forms of cinematic fantasy and science fiction. So Correct. I'm I'm curious to discuss <laughs> some fake ass bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Email us a question, and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience, or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. The award shows, uh, it's gone great tonight. Great potties, guys. Yeah, I can't wait for the potties to come again next year. I'm sure we'll stick with this conceit. (laughs) All right, uh, they're playing us off. So we'll see you after a break, and uh, we'll enter 1996. Bye, potties. Bye, potties.